this is Andrew. And my name's Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we revisit the classic, very special episodes of our youth and see what they have to say to us as adults. Today, we will be looking at Different Strokes, episode The Reporter. This is from season five, episode 22, and originally aired March 19th of 1983. The teleplay for this episode was by Jennifer Burton Kurtz and Michael Wayne Cohen. And the story by credits are Jennifer Burton Kurtz and Michael Wayne Cohen, as well as Sheila Scott and Diane Schroeder. So just a quick breakdown of what all these credits mean, because it's a lot of weird stuff here. So uh, usually a written by episode means that they've done everything without any sort of source material. Teleplay means these two people have written a script based on existing source material, whether it's an article or a literary story, a magazine, whatever. Story by means that you created the actual story of the episode without writing the script. And also worth noting, if you ever see a credit that has a bunch of writers on it, if those writers are one name, an ampersand, and another name, that means those two writers work together. And A&D separates teams of writers from each other. So in this case, Jennifer Burton Kurtz worked with Michael Mitchell Wayne Cohen, and Sheila Scott worked with Diana Schroeder, but those two teams didn't work with each other. So a lot of hands on this, a lot of thumbprints on this script. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. This is an important episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Different Strokes, by the way, is maybe the pinnacle of very special episodes. They're the most special of a special episode. Yeah, they're super known for it. It's like a feature of the series, like it is with Blossom. It's a thing people remember about the show. Absolutely. The snack today uh, is something that Andrew found that I'm super excited about. I did. Uh, Tell us about it. Okay, so my friend Josh, uh, who lives in Colorado, we've been best friends for forever, will buy any flavor of Oreos that he's never tried before. And that includes like Peeps Oreos Mm -hmm. or like Peppermint Oreos Mm -hmm. or just whatever goddamn thing. They're like, hey, it's fucking springtime Oreos. Yeah, we smashed some chemicals on this. Give it a shot. (laughs) We spilled something in a vat. (laughs) Vat Oreos, go for it. So... I went to the grocery store this morning and looked around at the Oreos to see what the most ridiculous flavor that I could find was. And success! I found chocolate peanut butter pie Oreos. There is a picture of a piece of chocolate peanut butter pie on the package that looks so good that if these Oreos don't live up to that picture, I'm going to be so upset. So what this basically is is a combination of peanut butter and chocolate on a graham cracker cookie foundation. Yeah. And actually, if you twist these open, Which it's like perfectly split peanut butter chocolate yes. middle. Yeah, it's perfectly split, as nothing natural would ever be. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's try these Yeah, let's give it a shot. Andrew, we've now not just tasted these cookies as God intended. We've <laughs> God also never intended these. Chelsea. We've also sort of dissected them and eaten different components to really, really come up with a well balanced review. Because it's weird. It's a weird tasting thing, and it's not what I expected. I just taste peanut butter. Yeah, it tastes like a nutter butter. That's to exactly me. what I was thinking. It's just a nutter butter. So <laughs> I'm glad. What, I'm so glad we agree. What we both did was <laughs> without talking to each other about it. We both opened up on. Un- Untouched cookies and cut out the part of the filling that is chocolate hued. <laughs> it's, it's got a real chocolate look to they it. They would have you believe it's chocolate. Yeah, because I'm not getting any chocolate when I eat these things. So I just ate the chocolate part of the, mm-hmm. the creamy filling and it doesn't taste like anything at all. It, it tastes like the stuffing of a, of an Oreo, just like sugar. Yeah, paste. it's just sugar. It's just a sugar. It doesn't paste. taste like chocolate at all. And I. You know when I think your better move is here? You take a regular old Oreo and mm-hmm. put peanut butter on top of it. Dude, done. You're set or for life. Or if you're in the mood for fucking Nutter Butters, just get just Nutter get Butters. Just get some Nutter Butters. Hey, let's talk about this goddamn episode. Oh my gosh, there's so much to say. I'm sorry, I keep clapping and ruining takes. No, it's fine. There's so much to say. The show, Different Strokes, ran from 1978 to 1986. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, it was on NBC 
from 1978 to 1985, and then ABC from 85 to 86. Ooh, that's weird. Yeah, it switched networks for its huh. very last season, and it did 181 episodes. What is your ex- experience of the show? Did you watch this growing up? Sure, absolutely. This I was did too. appointment television for us. <laughs> uh-huh. my, my super cultured family, we made sure to put on our very Sunday best, mm-hmm. as many scarves <laughs> as we could put on to appear as elegant as possible. Uh-huh. And then we all sat down and watched every single episode of this, and then watched it in syndication religiously. And I do remember watching, what would I have been? I've been five or six at this time. And I remember watching the very special episodes of this television show and they terrified me Mm. because they were all about like a dangerous, horrible world that was right out there in in front of everything. There's a two-parter in particular that will get you maybe on a very special episode of a very of this very special podcast that I think is the whole reason we started this podcast. The Bicycle Bicycle Man. Man. Guys... (laughs) I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to call it right now. But like, it'll either be our hundredth episode or our last <laughs> our episode. Last episode. Because what is there to say after you do the Bicycle Man's Part One and Two? I mean, my God, it's look. We don't always say whether or not you should watch these or not. If you want to watch this one, good luck. It's a little difficult to find. Yeah, this is another Paley Center Paley kind of Center a thing, thing. Yeah. Or you know, let me see real quick. You can watch some clips of this. On YouTube, the sort of prevalent guest starry bits that you will probably be intrigued about watching when I hope when you're done listening to this podcast, you can sure. catch those on YouTube. This was a but big deal. Not the whole episode. Yeah. And this was a big deal at the time. So just to put this in a tiny bit of context, then we'll talk a lot more about this after we yeah. talk about the episode. This episode airs in 1983. This is part of the general mass media just say no war on drugs zeitgeist moment however a, the phrase just say no didn't come around until 1986 yeah absolutely but this so, is the war on drugs yeah and uh, as championed by the first lady of the united states as championed states. by both the reagans i mean sure. the war on drugs actually is a term coined by president nixon mm. but reagan was in office for all of the 80s he and nancy reagan were like partners in this war on drugs movement and this would have been a more of effect on my childhood than i think yours because again i'm 6 when this episode comes out don't say no happens 2 years later just say no and don't, don't say, say no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, that's why I did all those drugs. Just Say No happens a couple of years okay. later. Drug okay abuse, resistance, education. Thanks. I want to well, I don't know where we are anymore. I want to dare essay contest. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> so this is what's going on in the 80s as far as actual drugs. In the early 80s, crack cocaine was first developed. So this mm. is a cheap, highly addictive form of cocaine. And the popularity of crack led to an increase in the number of Americans who became addicted to cocaine. So in 1985, the number of people who used cocaine on a routine basis increased from 4.2 million to 5.8 million. And by 1987, it was available in all but four states. I don't know how they know where it was and wasn't available. But this is from all from history.com. If you look up Just Say No on History.com, emergency room visits for cocaine-related incidents increased fourfold between 1984 and 1987. So in 1987, four times as many people are going to the emergency room because of cocaine-related incidents. And that's that's factual. That's by the numbers. Yep. And the crack epidemic particularly devastated African-American communities and soared. The crime and incarceration rates among this population right. just soared during the 80s. Definitely um, under Reagan's administration. Yes. So President Reagan takes office in 1981. He vows to crack down on substance abuse and prioritize the war on drugs. In 1986, he signed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which allotted $1.7 billion to fight the war on drugs and established mandatory minimum prison sentences for specific drug offenses. Which we are just undoing nowadays. We we started undoing under Obama. Yeah. Now, who knows? Uh, I mean, like, in the recent past. During the Reagan years, prison penalties for drug crime skyrocketed. The number of people incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses increased from 50,000 in 1980 to more than 400,000 by 1994. Christ. Okay, so. Quadrupled then. Yes, okay. This episode of Different Strokes. First of all, 
We both are very familiar with this show, but in case yeah. you are not, the setup of Different Strokes is that there are two brothers, Willis and Arnold. Yep. They were raised in a poor part of Harlem, but they move into a Park Avenue penthouse when their mother dies, and they are taken in and eventually adopted by their mother's former employer, rich businessman Philip Drummond and his daughter Kimberly, who they, at this point by season five, are calling dad. Hmm. And he refers to them as his sons. So it's kind of a punky Brewster sure. situation They're just where a curmudgeonly the- older guy takes in rambunctious kids. Sure. They're just trying to tell us the, the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. Yeah. What might be right for you might not be right for some. Oh, God, the theme song's so good. It is. It's it's solid. This is a, a sort of a new kind of a theme song that we've run across, which is let's tell you what this episode is in a song and through visuals yes. in our credits. It's like, here's what this is about. Within the first five seconds, the word dad is used three times. Oh, is it? Yeah. Arnold comes home and he says, is dad here? Willis says, yeah, dad's here. And then Philip comes out and says, dad's present accounted for. So it's like, hmm. boom, boom, boom. Here's the ordinary world. Yeah. Dad. And then we are right into the call to adventure. Very sure. next sentence is the call to adventure. Arnold is very excited. He tells us the Tribune, the New York Tribune, yep. <laughs> is having a contest for elementary school kids. All the kids from various school newspapers get to submit a story, and the winner will have their story published and get to be editor of the Tribune for a day. Editor for a day. I love this contest. This contest is ridiculous. I would have entered that, it. <laughs> you thought the mainstream news today was in trouble. I would have They're entered, giving to kids. I would have entered this contest so hard. Would you have? Oh, my God. This is like... Tiny Chelsea's dream to be given power and have her <laughs> and have her writing published in a huge news. Oh my god, I would have entered this. I noticed that that in terms of rewards, given power is the first thing for young Chelsea. <laughs> Arnold wants to win, obviously. Yeah. Uh, because he wants to be I don't know, he doesn't say I want to be a reporter anymore. Not at all. That. No, he's he got wants very, to beat that snob Lisa. That snob Lisa says Arnold <laughs> in his luxurious New York penthouse. That snob. They live on Park Avenue. They do. It's it's a But they go to public school. Which is sure, that's nice. Great. But I bet that's just for wacky misunderstandings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got a real beef with Lisa, who is better at him than anything. Yeah. And he, he won't let this shit go. No. And neither will she. She's a heinous bitch. Oh, yeah. We find out later. She's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. And the very next scene is Arnold hunched over a typewriter, crumpled pages discarded <laughs> all around him. If he had a cigarette, it would be ashtray. It'd be full of burnt out oh, cigarettes. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And he'd be like, come on, come on. <laughs> Philip comes home and tells Arnold it, he's got to go to bed. And Arnold's Wait. like, the contest is tomorrow. It's, it's super late at night. And, mm-hmm. and Mr. Drummond, octogenarian perhaps, <laughs> Mr. Drummond walks in and says, what are you still doing up? And I say out loud, what are you still doing up? He has his briefcase. Like, he just came back from work. He's well, a businessman. Sure. Maybe at a late business dinner. <laughs> Then Arnold says, tomorrow's a contest. I can't come up with an idea. One of the rejected ideas <laughs> that made me actually laugh yeah. sincerely. Chalk. The color controversy continues. <laughs> and so Mr. Drummond says, maybe it's not so bad. But then he uncrumples a piece of paper, gives it a half a glance, and he's like, no, this is hopeless. Yeah, go, let's to go to bed. <laughs> awesome. Good job, Dad. Yes. Uh, so they do, they do nothing. And the next day, Arnold is falling asleep in class. Yeah. That's not Lisa is giving a report, mm-hmm. uh, and Arnold is falling asleep, and Lisa calls him out. Yeah, she's like, in conclusion, the Boston Tea Party was a thing that happened, and Arnold Jackson is asleep. <sighs> yeah, so Lisa. Lisa, kind of a piece of shit. I'm kind of on Arnold's <laughs> side there. I'm like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> what a horrible Beat person. That snob. Um, his teacher, Miss Chung, reminds him, he says, like, I was up all night trying to write this thing, and I can't come up with anything. And she says, well, you still have lunch and recess to dash something off. Yeah. Which is a terrible work habit to encourage. It really is. First of all, it's like, did they just announce this contest the day yeah, before apparently. it was due? Or maybe just Arnold found, found out about it. But Tribune yeah, wants it's to, it. to turn in shitty work. Yeah. <laughs> the tri- maybe that's why the New York Tribune isn't around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, stories are due by 3 p.m. to the principal. And Arnold has has just, he's too tired. He's given up. He talks yeah. to his best friend, Dudley, and special guest friend, oh, no. Robbie Jason. Robbie Jason is in 22 episodes. What? I looked it up because well, I was like, is he a snake character? And I never trust people with two front names. Oh, same. I have it written down here. Robbie Jason, parentheses, no. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's in 22 episodes. So he is he is not in every episode, obviously, but he's in a quarter of them. Is it? Weren't there like almost 200 of these things? I'm sorry. Hold on. Uh, I forget. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he's, no, you're right. 181 he's episodes. A recurring, he's a recurring friend then. Yeah. 
Um, so Robbie Jason. Robbie Jason. <laughs> RJ, as I call him. Yeah. Um, so he pulls a pill out of his pocket and he says it's an upper and it will help Arnold stay awake to write the article. And this is one pristine perfect pill in its own perfect little plastic baggie. Sure. What kind of serial killer carries a drug around like this? Well, here's the problem here is that whoever's written this script, all 500 people who wrote this script, they make Robbie Jason sound like he's a burned out old pimp. <laughs> like, all right, here are actual <laughs> lines. <laughs> here are, they do. Like they, this, if this kid was like a fifty-year-old hunched-over, <laughs> like ex-heroin addict, it would be like, yeah, cool. He's saying those things. Here are actual Robbie Jason lines, as if said by a burned-out pimp. <laughs> It'll send you into overdrive. Hey, he's not a pusher. He's just trying to make a few extra bucks. <laughs> Robbie Jason has those lines, and it's like, yes. whoa, and cool he's out, like man. a twelve-year-old redheaded. <laughs> <laughs> pale, gangly pale little kid, little kid. <laughs> with two first names, the least threatening person on the planet. Oh my He's god! Like, Come on, man! And then he tells us he bought these drugs right here at school. And Dudley is aghast, but Arnold plays along. He's 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 got an idea, doesn't he's, Arnold? He's he's got a sn- he's sniffing around a story now. <laughs> <laughs> like the uh, like the brilliant undercover reporter he is. Yes. And he says he needs more individually wrapped drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and he asks for an intro to this contact. And to his credit, I have to look at it every time because I want to say like Reggie Wayne or <laughs> Robbie Peterson. Um, no, Rob, Robbie Jason says, I'll arrange a meeting. And I'm I, you know what? At this point, I think to myself, this is pretty much the wire babies. Yes. Where, yes. where Arnold is a victim of the public school system, and Robbie Jason is going to set up a meet with a tiny white stringer bell, and also journalism is shoehorned in. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, and wire fans are going to love the fuck out of that joke, by the way. Miles is laughing silently. Yay! Arnold also, and this is something that the entire rest of the plot is going to hinge on, Arnold swears he won't get Robbie into trouble. Yeah. And he won't tell on him. He won't rat him out. If he agrees to set up this meeting. Yeah. So in terms of the hero's journey, we've set up that the ordinary world is this world of Park Avenue apartment, dad, brother, school is a nice, safe place, lease is a snob, but otherwise school is what you would expect an elementary school, junior high school to be. And um, here we have... A call to adventure, which comes in the form of the essay contest. Right. Um, this is the thing that's changed. This is the special world where a kid can be an undercover reporter and the editor for sure. a day. And, and he's going to get this story cracked right. and written in about four hours. Right. So the way he's got, but the way to get to that world, it's a kind of a convoluted thing. The way to get to be an ace reporter is to find a story. And the way to find a story is to do drugs or pretend to do drugs or hang out with people who do do drugs. Do-do. So, um, yes. So, but um, also, again, the ultimate goal is to show up a fellow student. Right. That's the ultimate reward. Yes. In, this, in this world we're in, that makes Robbie Jason the mentor and this the meeting with the mentor, but he's like a false mentor. But he's a real mentor because he will help do the thing that needs to be done, which is win the essay contest. Sure. But through means that are nefarious mm. or sort of shady. Do you think that Robbie Jason's parents named him with the understanding that he'll definitely want to be called RJ? And then Robbie Jason was like, no, call me Robbie Jason. Yeah. And they're super disappointed somewhere. Yeah, they were like, come on, we have this whole all planned out. You're going to be RJ. Don't call me RJ. Call me Robbie Jason. Your sister's name I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. Hey, don't call me RJ. Call me Robbie Jason. <laughs> Burnout heroin addict. Um, so now we're on we're on a journey. Uh, we yeah. might have we at first we might think it's winning the contest. Now we see it's through winning the contest. Arnold will heal the world of the school somehow, and the drugs have made the world of the school sick. Sure. It's kind of an interesting structure. Um, anyway, I, Arnold is our hero, yeah. whatever way you slice it. I agree, and it's kind of weird the way that they get around to completing their mission. Of mm-hmm. this story, they introduce it in a very weird way, but by the end of it, we are totally like talking about drugs. Yeah, and there is no real B 
and definitely no C storyline. I mean, if you say the essay contest and the drugs are two different storylines that are interwoven, that's yeah. kind of a thing, but they're both happening to Arnold. And they also have an end point. Yeah. Like, the so story's done at some this point. This is a straight shot narrative-wise. Right. It's There's no other characters doing anything that right. anyone cares about. This is the hallmark of a special episode right. of sitcom television. So we are out of – that is all of Act 1. Mm-hmm. We come back at Act 2 – and we're in some back area of the school, I yeah. guess, or a park, maybe. The drug park. Drug park. Yeah. Dudley drug, and Arnold are waiting for this contact. Drug Washington Park. <laughs> uh, yeah, Arnold and Dudley are, are nervous to meet a drug dealer. They they say he's got to be a, you know, he probably sounds and looks like Robbie Jason talks. <laughs> so they probably <laughs> they think. say they're expecting a big, mean-looking dude with a scar, and what they get is a white boy with a bowl cut. They, they certainly do, and it's worth noting that this white kid with a bowl cut is David Mendenhall. I know everybody at home is jumping up and down because, of course, you know who David Mendenhall is. But just in case you don't, David Mendenhall was the actor who played Sylvester Stallone's son in the classic movie Over the Top. Is that the arm wrestling? Yes. Yes. Our, the, the, as my friend Steve once put it, the arm wrestling for child custody movie. <laughs> classic. Actually, he called it the best arm wrestling for child custody movie ever. The class by itself. He's not wrong. Well, Sylvester Stallone's kid, who's never given a name, has for them to choose from individually packaged red jackets, yellow devils, and goofballs, which definitely sounds like drugs for kids. That sounds like candy. And Only 80s kids will remember yellow jackets, by the way. <laughs> and the pills are in the $12 range. Also, this this kid is doing a lot of what I call Charlie Brown acting, <laughs> which is when you're a child actor and you just want to give everything importance, so you punch the last word of every sentence. So he says, I don't have a lot of time. I have to go to the bathroom. It's it's not the best performance on the show. <laughs> it's not. It's not his best performance ever. <laughs> no. It's not the um, best performance among Charlie Brown actors. Arnold gets some solid one-liners in here, though. There yeah. are some. So the kid offers him a $12 pill, and he says it'll make him happy. And Arnold goes, for $12, I'll make you a lot happier than me. And I'm like, oh, Arnold. <laughs> Arnold, you are stingy and rich. And then Arnold gets... To the next question, which is my question, which yeah. is, where do you get these drugs, other child? child? And the answer is from his brother in high school, which actually is not far enough up the supply chain to do anyone any good information-wise, yeah. if you're cracking a story. I mean, season one of The Wire, we're going to have to like get into <laughs> it. We're going to have to follow the money, and it's going to get us to the docks at one point. Yeah. And we're going to find out there's Ukrainians bringing it in. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, the deal does not yeah. go down because Arnold says he left his money at home and the drug dealer calls them total flakes. You guys are total flakes. And I'm going to take my goofballs elsewhere. This is bad business because if I learned anything about drugs as a kid, it's that the first one is always free. Right? How disappointing. What are you out? 24 bucks? Come yeah, on, it kid. It really just shows the, the lack of experience that this <laughs> child drug dealer has when he tries to be drug deal people. <laughs> I am be drug dealt. I am be drug dealt zoons. Also, this kid is not even out of your shop before Arnold gloats very loudly. This is going to be a great story. And to Dude. be fair, a child busting a drug ring at his school would be an amazing story. You mean a child busting a child drug ring at yes, his school? It would be amazing. It would be like discovering somebody, <laughs> like somebody in third grade has a tank. You're like, what? <laughs> How did you... He drives it every day. <laughs> he got it from his brother. That's not. Parks it by the cafeteria. I feel like I'm on yellow jackets. <laughs> Am I on goofballs right now? <laughs> um, so Lisa the Snob stops by Arnold's desk back in class to taunt him about her, her oh, story. We're, we're in act two now, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So her story is going to win, and they have some back and forth insulting. And then the principal comes in. Worst principal ever? Maybe. Yeah. And he wants Arnold to tell him who bought the drugs. He's read Arnold's story, and he's like, well, who are you talking about? Because, of course, he does. That's the responsible question course, to sure. ask. And Arnold says, I can't reveal my sources. Mm-hmm. And it's really charming that he thinks playground ethics are going to supersede <laughs> the law of justice. <laughs> and, but, like, it works. The principal yeah. isn't like, ha-ha, you're a child. That's funny. Who's selling drugs Bucking, at my school? tell me, child. No. The principal's like, you must be making it up then. Yeah, he calls bullshit on it just because just because Arnold, as I've written down here, 
Arnold ain't into stitchery, so he doesn't engage in snitchery. <laughs> uh huh. So the principal is like, this story is all lies. And he says Arnold is lucky not to be expelled and he's which, not going to turn in the story. Yeah, which, okay, if you don't believe it and you say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to turn it in because you made this all up, that's, first of all, you, you need to press him harder. He's a child, he'll crack. Yeah. But secondly, this is not grounds for expulsion. Yeah. Not in any way, shape, or form. It, this wrote, sounds really incredibly you wrote harsh. You down a lie. Well, no. Yeah, Get you didn't even accuse anyone. It isn't even like you were like, Mrs. Chung is selling drugs. <laughs> Which would be a more incredible story. Which is the plot of Mean Girls. Mrs. Um, Chung drives a tank. <laughs> but he didn't even accuse anyone. And the principal's like, you're lucky not to be getting expelled. And I'm like, I feel like rich Philip Drummond would be down here in a second if you tried no. to expel him. For as this. soon as he finds out rich Philip Drummond gets down there in a second, but we'll get to that. Yeah. And Arnold says a great, his great line, which is, I'm not going to take this lying down. They haven't heard the last of Scoop Jackson. Scoop Jackson, y'all. <laughs> Scoop Love Jackson. Love it so much. Gary Coleman, we have to admit, is a fantastic he child really actor. Is. He's amazing. He's hilarious. I feel so bad about the way his life went. He was taken advantage of by his parents. Mm-hmm. There are laws based on his experiences mm-hmm. now. He sued them. Sued them. Tabloid this. He was, it was. He was... It was just he went through the ringer and tr- died tragically young. Yeah. His he his short stature. He was under five feet tall his whole life right. was due to kidney problems. He had very young and had and they they selected him and uh, Emmanuel Lewis who played Webster. I can't back this up with a source, but my impression is they chose children who weren't going to grow. Well, this this show I'm not sure about that, but this show was a vehicle for him. They had seen him in commercials, mm. and they were like, "Let's get this kid a show," and that's genius because he's amazing. He's great, and tragically, he's not the only child actor that had a hard life after different strokes. The daughter, Kimberly. Yeah, this this whole cast. Went on to have a very troubled life and died by suicide. Todd Bridges, uh, also uh, Willis in mm-hmm. this, uh, had a stint of uh, jail time, I believe, based on some robberies he committed. Jeez, it's, it's, rough, all, it's all bad. It's terrible. Um, but on a positive note... This is some of the best child acting you will see yeah, in agreed. any of these yeah. classic sitcoms. He's got a good precociousness about him, but it's not like hammy precociousness. He does he does a good job. Yeah. Scoop Jackson. Haven't Scoop heard Jackson. the last of him. Fuck the system, by the way. Oh, We're right. into act three. Yeah. And Philip, dad, is reading the morning paper the next morning around the, the breakfast Tribune. table. The, the New Tribune. York Tribune. New York Tribune. There's an article about Arnold. And the, it's um, about Arnold and his article that he wrote, which is his called, article is called My, My School is Lousy with Drugs. <laughs> and if, as soon it's as I heard that, child. as soon as I heard that, I decided that I am going to bring back things being lousy with stuff. Yes. I think lousy comes from, oh God, we have to check on this. Lousy. It's lousy. Being covered in lice. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So apparently Arnold took this article down to the Tribune himself. And Mr. And Drummond doesn't know no, and because they, he was on a hot date last night. So now he's lousy with confusion about oh the whole thing. God. Yeah, get ready, kid. It's going to happen oh a ton. God. So the Tribune acted on this hot tip with lightning speed. The they stopped the day. presses. The kid shows up. Let's... 4.30, let's say. He gets out of school at 3. They have <laughs> this on the next morning. And the article is like, this kid wrote this article. The principal doesn't believe him. And so it's like, it's a sort of, it's not just that they published his article. It's that they're like, the principal wouldn't give us this. Is it censorship? Turn to page 9. It's real, It it's like real high stakes all of a sudden. But the thing that happens next is that Philip says this thing to Arnold, which is the same thing the principal said. Yeah. Who are your sources? And Willis and Willis says, ratting on a friend is the lowest thing you can do. And Kimberly pipes up with, I disagree. We're talking about drugs yeah, here. Mr. Drummond and Kimberly disagree. Hey, thanks, white people. Right. Philip says he's going to go down with Arnold to school today to talk to the principal. And Arnold is very anti this plan. And Arnold is caught between, no one believes me, but I can't reveal my sources because I promised that I wouldn't, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then the doorbell rings. And wait, before we get into this. I know, that was... <laughs> Chelsea <laughs> raised her hands in dramatic fashion, and I paused it, and the disappointment is palpable. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Ready? Get set? Stop. 
So uh, I wanted to take a second and ask you, Chelsea, based on all of this that we're hearing right now. We're, oh, uh, yeah, if I'm you back. can stop frowning for a second. <laughs> we'll get back to it, bud. I promise. You'll be able to say the thing. I'll let you raise your hands again and everything. I'll, I'll commentate on it. Okay. Chelsea raises her hands. <laughs> okay. Were you ever were you ever yourself bid drug dealt? Or did you have any experiences with your friends doing drugs at an early, early age? No. My high school was all about drinking and, uh, s- and dipping and smoking. Just we've already discussed but everybody's. Not, yeah, but not really drugs, at least the people I hung out with. I mean, I'm sure some kids were smoking pot. And then sure. when I got to college, everybody was smoking pot. And a few people were doing, like, cocaine sometimes. Whoa. But there was never a time when a person was like, hey, you want a pill? Yeah, nobody, And I had to decline that offer that yeah. was that direct. I wasn't allowed to ever just say never no. never given a chance to just say no. When I was in fifth grade... I don't remember it was like in English class, and I sat on sort of the back of the room because I was a really tall kid, and that's what it is what I did. These three kids around me, Michael and a couple of other kids. Jason and Robbie. <laughs> Jason, Jason and Robbie. Mm-hmm. It's Michael and these uh, two girls. Um, oh. they were kind of like, you know, the rough kids at school. They took drugs in front of me. They took pills in front of me, and I freaked out. Were because they goofballs? They they didn't look like the goofballs. <laughs> And they weren't yellow or red, so that rules out jackets mm-hmm. slash devils. Quaaludes, then. <laughs> Probably. My impression of it was that it was speed. Mm-hmm. I think somebody asked me later on, like, what happened? And I don't know what happened. So I said, they sped up, and that's it. I think Michael even maybe mentioned that it was speed or something like that. So they take these drugs, and I flip out because I am in the war on drugs pocket. Yeah, I'm their yeah, key yeah. demographic yeah. demographic there. You're a soldier. You're a foot soldier in the war on drugs. It's true. So I tell my mom mm-hmm. that kids are doing drugs at school. Mm-hmm. The coolest thing I could ever possibly do. Yeah. I rat out some kids. Real Arnold about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a real Kimberly and Mr. Drummond <laughs> about this. Because as a white kid, I'm like, whoa, I better tell. Uh, and those kids uh, got suspended i might have even got one of them expelled whoa yeah i felt i felt awful the rest of the day but then my mom let me rent a video game which cleared everything up for me i'm embarrassed about that action to this day michael eventually came back to our high school and called me on it one time he was like hey remember when andy uh, narked on all of us and i was (laughs) like (laughs) and then later he punched me in the face so i feel like we're even yeah, yeah, Michael, yeah. if you're out there. Yeah, don't Michael, don't don't add us. We're, it's, we're even. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard though because all of the messaging is that horrible things are going to happen if kids take drugs. Yeah. And if you don't report it and you know about it, then you are part of the, what is making horrible things happen. You know, the, the presentation of drugs and people who use drugs is that it doesn't necessarily make you smarter. It demonizes everything about it. So your reaction is fear. Because if you demonize drugs like that, all you need is a friend to take drugs and tell you that it's all bullshit. I mean, right. it's all hyped up exploitative nonsense anyway. Which is not to say that 12-year-olds should be taking drugs. Not at all. Obviously not at all. However, the just say no, the war on drugs approach doesn't take into consideration any of the underlying factors of why people would do drugs or what drugs, they don't tell you anything about what drugs do to you. It's just this big boogeyman to be afraid of. In fact, in 1985, this is again from history.com, in 1985, the proportion of Americans who saw drug abuse as the nation's number one problem was yep. between 2% and 6%. In 1989, four years later, that number had jumped to 64% Jesus from 2 to 6%. Absolutely. 64%. So what is incontrovertible, is that what I mean to say? Yeah, man. He did it. What is indisputable is that... (laughs) Better back off. Better back off. What is indisputable is that the war on drugs created a lot of public concern and some would say hysteria. Hysteria is the word. Over drug use. Whether it did anything to combat actual drug use is highly debatable, but it did definitely increase awareness to the point of hysteria. Right. So, So... Back to the episode. Back to the episode. What's about to happen, Chelsea? The doorbell rings. Chelsea's raising her hand. Both hands are up. Nancy Reagan ex machina. 
Ciao. Holy shit, it's Nancy Reagan and two very dour Secret Service agents. Uh, who are ethnically diverse. Thanks, Nancy Reagan. Yeah. Um, and she's there because she read about Arnold in the Tribune. Again, everybody's moving with lightning. So fast. Everybody must be on speed. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article. I better go to the kids' house. Oh Let me go. Go, Nancy. Go, Nancy. Go. You've got to get there before he gets to school. Couldn't just go to the school where we know he'll be in two hours. <laughs> Give me the other of the line. <laughs> um, By the line, I mean this line of cocaine that we all have to do right. now. And Nancy Reagan is no Buzz Aldrin. She's very natural on camera, but remember, she was an actress before. She and Ronald Reagan yes, were both actors. She absolutely was. Okay, so, great. Nancy Reagan, this isn't the first drug related cameo that she's made. I've no. actually marked down a couple of them great. here. She also appeared on the Flintstone Kids' Just Say No special, which also starred fellow drug spokesperson LaToya Jackson, oh. who played the character LaToya Jackstone. Mm-hmm. I'm, no, I'm waiting for everybody to laugh. Mm. Uh-huh. And then my favorite thing, and please pause and look this up, she appeared in Stop the Madness is an anti-drug music video from 1985, and it's just as ridiculous <gasps> as you might think. I would say let's play some of it now, but it's really just not very good. I'll put it on the website. Sure. Go look it up. That Stop the Madness, an anti-drug music video that also stars Whitney Houston, oh. Bobby Brown from New Edition, oh. and Latoya Jackson as herself this time. <sighs> As opposed to Latoya Jackstone. You're confused at first. Usually, like, which one is it? She just oh, God. develops into the character. But it's nonsense. It's another nonsense. Like it's like stock footage and made up footage of people in prison. It's like, oh, you're going to die if you do drugs one time. Yeesh. Friends. So, yeah, Nancy Reagan fucking enters the Drummond's household. What are you doing here, Nancy Reagan? Yeah, so she says, I was in New York, which is way more plausible than if it were, you know, set in Des Moines. Um, (laughs) So she's in New York, and she read about this thing, and she wanted to come over because she takes the war on drugs very personally. Arnold wants to offer her jelly beans, which is classic Classic Reagan humor. Just Reagan humor. Should we bow or something? Oh, and then Nancy Reagan knows their housekeeper. This is actually a trope. And they hug and hold hands, and she's truly a man of the people is Nancy Reagan. Sure. It really made her relatable, by which I mean, I, at this time and to this day, find Nancy Reagan weird and a bit frightening. Just the look of her and her mm. attitude is so like, she's a very gaunt sort of woman. And the way that she acts is just like so superficial and smiley. It creeps me out. And it doesn't help that when she's introduced to the kids, which is, this is my daughter, Kimberly, pause, and these are my sons, Arnold and Willis. Mm-hmm. And when she says hello to Arnold and Willis, she stares at them and smiles as though she's planning to eat them later. <laughs> She gives them a solid, like, up and down. Hi there. You're a plump one, aren't you? I didn't get any of that. Well, too bad. (laughs) Oh, my God. Go back and watch it again. She's creeping me out. We do get the line we all came here for, which is, what you talking about, Mrs. Reagan? What you talking about, Mrs. Reagan? Yeah, that's what we all showed up here for. It really is. And good stuff. And Nancy Reagan decides she's going to go to school with the gang today. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Drummond has already decided he's going to go and confront that principal. Right. And then the White House calls... In a weird bit, so Ronald Reagan is quote unquote in this episode right. because she talks to him on the phone. It's an all right joke, though. I'm all right yeah. with it. She says, I love you, miss you. She said, I miss you, I love you. And then there's a pause. And she says, now, if I can say it in front of a bunch of strangers, you can say it in front of Tip O'Neill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Did you not find that to be? I guess. What is that for the for the parents to laugh at that are I, watching this with I the guess, kids? Like, man. hey, this this shows for everybody, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, whether they like it or not, Tip O'Neill. I'd say we this this Nancy Reagan bit from the time she shows up to the time I go to school is approaching the inmost cave, oh. which is the ramp up to Fucking the hero's journey. I'm right, so sorry. <laughs> which is the ramp up to the supreme ordeal, the big climax. So this is the problem we have here as reiterated for Nancy Reagan for her benefit, Mm. is that Arnold either has to rat out his friends in order to be believed, or no one will believe him, therefore he can't stop the drug selling at school. I guess, but the problems become really convoluted because I think when they sat down to write this, they, again, we have two different teams of writers, so Mm -hmm. that might be some of it, 
But really, I'm sure they were given the task of make a story about drugs being a problem for these kids. Right. To get into that, they've created like three or four other problems. So by the time you get here, you're just trying to like set up a Nancy Reagan spike that is a sermon on drugs being bad. Yeah. And it's like, how do we get? It can't just be that someone's selling drugs at school. It has to be roped in with some other way that Nancy Reagan could find out about drugs at this particular school. So, like, now we have to set up this paper contest thing. Commandant Nancy Reagan's on the case. She's going (laughs) to fucking suss out the truth. (laughs) So we go to school. Who will tell me about the drugs? (laughs) I will eat your children. (laughs) We go to school. The Supreme Ordeal. Uh, fucking principal. The principal's angry, which I think is fair because he doesn't, if he truly doesn't believe Arnold. Now Arnold has, he's been written about by name in the New York Tribune as being a principal yeah. that doesn't believe a yeah. kid at and his school about that's, drugs. Yeah, that's it's made not him, flattering. Well, it's made him lousy with kid hate. <laughs> which is where you want your principal to be yeah. right, emotionally. Don't believe kids, hate them, and wish them ill. But then it does, it sets up the greatest thing, the thing that every kid wants, which yeah. is for an adult or another kid to be mad at them and then they come in with like a supreme power figure best as their friend. Backup. Yes. Yeah, so he's like, there's no end of it with this kid. Blah, blah, blah. Arnold's the worst. There's mm. some, he's livid. And then Arnold walks in with motherfucking Nancy Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> and the principal can't really say shit at he's that point. starstruck. Everybody's yeah. starstruck. And Nancy Reagan eyes these children hungrily. Chelsea, is that so out of control? It is. There's so much going on that's actual here that I feel like the Nancy Reagan is a Hansel and Gretel witch is is like... I'm just drawing a comparison, I guess, at the end of the day. I'm sorry she haunts your nightmares. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So Nancy Reagan starts to talk to the class about what Arnold has written, and Robbie Jason... Oh man, is no. sitting right behind Arnold. We have to we have to we have to slow down a bit here. So, yes, Robbie Jason's right behind Arnold. So Nancy Reagan starts with the question, "How many of you have heard about the drug problem?" And did you notice one kid's hand didn't go one up? One little Asian yes. girl doesn't raise her hand, <laughs> and I laughed for five minutes. I was like, "Oh, sweet Susanna just, lives in a home where drugs have never. She doesn't watch just, TV. She's just staring blankly ahead, like what <laughs> drugs? What she's, a problem! She lives in New York City, but she's very sheltered. It just she just looks so like I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know, but." Nancy Reagan's asking questions. Jason, or Robbie Jason, is sitting right behind <laughs> Arnold, and he doesn't look scared or upset. Yeah, he doesn't try to anything. Bolt. <laughs> he's, he's, has he forgotten his role in all of this? He's smiling. <laughs> it was a bet we're going to catch him eventually anyway. <laughs> he's like, Me, Robbie Nancy Jason. Nancy Reagan's here. It's like, yeah, because of you, you little addict. <laughs> they had to send Nancy Reagan to tape down, take down the top dog, Robbie <laughs> oh Jason. God. And then she straight up asks if anyone has ever tried to sell the children drugs, and finally, Robbie has the good sense to react to something, although like four kids raise their hands and he does not. The fucking Asian girl. (laughs) That little Asian girl raises her hands. And I mean the best case scenario is that she's telling the truth, but just doesn't see the drugs or any kind of a problem. She doesn't know their problem. Or she realizes she's the only one who didn't raise her hand previously and she's like, whatever is asked next, I'm gonna raise (laughs) my hands. Oh shit, I gotta get back on this. I was Um, I was zoned out. The principal is aghast. Uh, yeah. He had no idea this was going on. If only somebody had told him and written him an article about it. It's Fuck you, principal. <laughs> uh, Nancy Reagan says she spent a lot of time with kids whose lives were ruined and their potential was wasted by drugs. Good Lord. And wasted. Then, ruined. And then, wait, but then Robbie Jason has the goddamn gall <laughs> to say, but First Lady Reagan. I heard the pot won't hurt I heard that pot's not so bad, and Nancy Reagan body slams this child with some facts. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is what happens. And you know what I did? I Googled to see if there was any way this story was true. Oh, my God. Based on anything, based on a report, based on an article, based on apocryphal legend. What is the story? Nothing. There's nowhere on the internet. This is what happens. Yeah. Nancy Reagan walks down the aisle. She gets even with this child, and she says, let me tell you a true story about a kid named Charlie (laughs) who was totally zoned out on pot, just gone, man, gone. 
And when permanent his little burn, sister purchased a burnout and his little sister, he told her to steal some money for him to buy more drugs. And when she wouldn't, he savagely beat her. <laughs> first of all, first of all. And savagely beating, that doesn't sound like pothead behavior. Yeah, that Charlie sounds like a has lot a of effort. rage problem. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, if anything, get that kid more pot. Yeah. Charlie, maybe let's talk about domestic violence or toxic masculinity. No, man, it's pot's I problem. I don't think pot's the problem for uh, Charlie here. Well, and look, then she says, don't be another Charlie. Don't be another Charlie, y'all. And she looks at them with her black eyes, oh like God. doll's eyes. It's so, rolling but around that's like the thing is eyes. like, there is no information here about how drugs affect your brain chemistry. No. There's no information about addiction. There's no information about what will happen when you lose control. It's if all just you like- try drugs, you'll viciously beat your sister. It's like you've been bitten by a vampire. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just really that. this boogeyman you thing. There's no context, no explanation, no facts. That's absolutely perfect because you get the impression from this program that it's not, uh, now that I know the facts, I know not to do it. It's like, God, I hope this doesn't accidentally happen to me. Exactly. Which is a lot of the 80s. Exactly. It's like, oh man, I don't. I hope I don't have the bad luck. Because there are also stories about like people putting drugs in your fucking drinks or yes. in your fucking Halloween or candy. Or in your tattoos, like little temporary oh tattoos. Yes. I was never allowed to get those. Because it's LSD, Chelsea. Because people in LSD. Yeah, exactly. So then Nancy Reagan brings it home by saying there's no such thing as hard drugs or soft drugs. All drugs are dumb. And then Robbie confesses that- Excuse me, who? I'm sorry, Jason Robbie? Jason, Robbie Jason. <laughs> raisin Jumbie. Raisin Jumbie. <laughs> Old Raisin Jumbie. <laughs> the red-headed heroin addict. <laughs> that sounds like the name of a burned-out pimp, by the way. Uh, here comes a Raisin Jumbie. He confesses. <laughs> and so Arnold is vindicated. Yes. And then Arnold says this is a big win for the little Gipper. And oh, so everything, the, the parents and the police are going to be informed. Arnold is now friends with Nancy Reagan. The school is drug-free again. The principal apologizes to Arnold, lousy with regret. Yes, lousy with regret. And the ordinary world is healed. We're back to a school that we uh, uh, suppose doesn't have drugs in it when we come back sure. for the next episode. And the episode ends with all of the kids rushing spooky, scary, scary skeleton Nancy Reagan, <laughs> who hugs all of them to see which ones are plump enough to put in an oven. Oh, my God. So... Let's go back to <laughs> let's go back to talking about the efficacy of the sure, war on drugs. Absolutely. Uh, so part of Reagan's anti-drug abuse act included a heftier penalty known as the 100 to 1 sentencing ratio, mm. which meant uh, for the same amount of crap cocaine which is t- what's typically used by African Americans as powdered cocaine typically used by white people it was a hundred to one sentencing ratio. So for example, a minimum penalty of five years was given for five grams of crack or 500 grams of powdered cocaine. So you had to, as a white person be doing as a hundred times as many drugs as a black person to get the same prison sentence. Minority communities were also more heavily policed and targeted. Yes, absolutely. Leading to a disproportionate rate of criminalization. And do you know who does cocaine, but rich white people, they're the only people who can afford it and therefore are going to get a better system of justice applied to them. Right. Just by their, their race and their wealth. Unless we think this is all in the past, the fair sentencing act passed by Congress in 2010 Reduced the discrepancy between crack and powder cocaine from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. Great. So it's a lot better than it was, but still you have to do eight times as much powder cocaine as you do crack for the same sentence. We've almost gotten down to the level of outrageously unfair, which I hope we get to someday. <laughs> Instead of extremely... Right, as opposed to pointedly racist. Unabidably unfair. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's also said that we're still treating addiction... Addicted people who are addicted like they're criminals. Yeah. When in fact they often need the most help. Exactly. Um, so Miles, our our sound producer. Yeah, and people have user. button smasher. People have pointedly and correctly compared the crack epidemic of the eighties to the opioid epidemic of the present day, sure. and how we approach the opioid epidemic as a national health crisis that needs to be met with counseling. It needs to be met with understanding. It needs to be met with um, help, as opposed to instant and um, inflexible criminalization. The way the crack epidemic was was faced. 
Christ. And there are theories uh, around that I can either support nor deny that uh, crack cocaine use in inner cities was heavily influenced by local governments and, and federal governments. But whether or not any of that's true, it was certainly something that was taken advantage of by the administrations in the 80s in order to um, concentrate on a drug that affected inner cities, make that a more criminal act, and therefore put more people in prison. There's an, a beautiful hand-illustrated video that was in the New York Times a couple of years ago about the war on drugs that's narrated by Jay-Z, which I'll put on our website, um, which is a fantastic primer on all this and a great jumping off point for your own education about this if you guys want to do more research. Yeah, and there's a less beautiful, more angry uh, song by Killa Mike called Reagan that we'll also put a link on there too. A lot of Um, links on this episode. Got a lot to say. Yeah. Anyway, who did you want to hug? I guess I want to hug uh, Robbie Jason and be like, dude, just switch to RJ and <laughs> and also ease up, lighten up a little bit, buddy, because you are sounding like, again, a burned out old pimp. Yeah. I just want to hug Gary Coleman. You know what? Yeah. You're, I not, just, you're not wrong. Because I look at him and I'm like, you're such a good little actor and I know what's coming down the pike for you. He's doing such a good and job. I just want to hug you. Um, what did we learn? Man, I'll tell you what. I knew this a bit before going to this episode, but I learned all about the failure of drug programs in the 80s mm-hmm. and how you know caustic and insidious all of it ended up being. Stuff we're still feeling 30 years later. Um, that's what I learned, which is probably not what the episode intended me to to take away from it, but it's the God's honest truth. This was all a bunch of shit and it ruined lives. Yeah. Um, I learned that if you don't rat on your friends, even if they're engaging in self-harm, eventually they'll rat on themselves and you'll be vindicated. If Nancy Reagan swings by. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you might have to reconsider. But for the most part, cinches get stitches. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> Stay away from... Any gingerbread houses, Yay. whether they are Republican or Democrat owned. <laughs> That's it, y'all. We had a lot to say about Gosh, that episode. Yeah. But again, Different Strokes is just going to be one of those. It's at a very great time for television, for issues, for special episodes. For We're going to have a lot actors. to say for child yeah. actors. Chelsea, what are we going to check out for next time? Uh, next time, we have our first listener recommended episode. We'll be watching Growing Pains Season 1, Episode 6, Mike's Madonna Story, which you can rent on Amazon Prime Video for $2.99. Um, so thank you so much for listening today. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box, where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks!